first time, so uh, go easy on me. Um, welcome to the village, um, where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify him. Our vision is uh, broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. I'm glad you're here. Um, and uh, if any visitors are here, um, you might see a QR code on the front of the worship guide. Uh, this Scanning this will allow you to connect uh, to all, all our information online about church, uh, giving of tithes and offerings, along with social media platforms all in one place. Um, so guests, please uh, click on that menu item for the first-time guests when you when you go to that link. Um, so at the Village Church, we believe that uh, the giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship. Uh, you may give to the vision and mission of the church online, or you can mail a check to our address, 2103 Virginia Boulevard, uh, Huntsville, 35811. Um, or after the service, you can drop your offering off in the designated area in the back of the sanctuary uh, in the box back there. Um, so uh, for announcements today, um, today after worship, we'll have a congregational meeting. Uh, there will not be any Enter the Village uh, class, um, and we will have Stay and Play for Village Kids uh, and First Steps. And I, I guess that's during the congregational meeting that'll happen. Um, I don't know if it'll happen outside or not, it, depending on rain, um, but uh, I'm sure there'll be a plan for that. Um, and uh, important dates to remember, uh, Thursday the 2nd, this uh, coming Thursday, uh, the Shipman Therapia Men's Group uh, will meet at 7 a.m. at Just Love Coffee. And the Goodson Men's Group will meet in the church house at 5 p.m. Um, and then uh, on the 5th for Sunday worship gathering, um, there will be worship at 9.30. And then after the service, as usual, and then after the service, we'll have Enter the Village class and also Sunday equipment classes, SCC. Those classes will begin that Sunday. And then at 12.15 that day, the Teague Village Group will meet in the church house. Um, and also, uh, please save the date for February 12th. That'll be the Great Bowls of Fire Chili Cook-Off. So we're looking forward to that. Um, I'm going to be one of the judges, so just to give you a level there. Um, yeah, because I'm really good at judging chili, so I just like to eat food, so I'll probably think they're all good. Um, so yeah, that's uh, all our announcements. So please govern yourselves accordingly. take a few moments to individually and corporately prepare our hearts and minds for worship.
Lord, we love you. And you are good to us. But sometimes we feel like the psalmist does in Psalm 42. He says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so my uh, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I know I can relate to that. Lord, our soul, we live, we live in a world that is challenging. And um, sometimes it, it squeezes tightly and leaves us thirsty for more of you. And God, we just thank you for this time where we can be still before you. Sometimes we have a hard time being still before you. So in these moments where we can be still before you as a as a body, we thank you. And we are thirsty. We are thirsty for you. We we need more of you. We need you to open our eyes and not allow us to be distracted by the things of this world. So Spirit, we ask you, we know you are here, and where two or more are gathered, you are in the midst, so we need you to move this morning, because we are thirsty, and we just need to experience your presence today. In Jesus' name, amen.
Our call to worship this morning is from Isaiah 12, verses 4b through 6. Please join with me where it says, People and all. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Amen. Y'all bear with me this morning. I'm struggling. bear with me. Pray for me. That's better. Pray for me. Go ahead. A shout of praise, an amen, a hallelujah. 
or thank you, Jesus. Because uh, mm, sometimes you don't have the words. And all you can say is, mm.
He's worthy of all of our praise. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Just looking around at all the faces here. You look beautiful this morning. Thank you for being here in the midst of this uh, rainy Sunday and how good it is to be in the house of the Lord together. Thinking about that Psalm 42 as a deer pants just reminded me that sometimes it's easy for us to kind of turn this whole Christian thing into some kind of mechanical you know, check the box kind of thing. I get up on Sunday. I go to church. Uh, I pray in the morning. These sorts of things, all of which are good. Um, but the psalmist in Psalm 42 really hits the nail on the head when he says it's to be as if we are dying of thirst for God and dying of hunger. That's how much we need to want to be with him. It's not a mechanical thing. It is a relational thing where he is drawing us to himself. Anyway, that's what that song <laughs> spoke to me this morning. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's just be quiet for a few minutes and just... Uh, Ask the Spirit to move here among us just for a few minutes, just quietly. Pastor Alex always says that the Spirit is not here. This is just uh, clanging cymbals. It's, it's, uh, nothing is going to happen. We need you. We need more of you. And as I always think when it's raining, I just think about your love pouring out over us about your grace and your mercy your forgiveness pouring on us your scripture tells us that we love because you first loved us 
that we forgive as you have forgiven us. You are so good, Father. You are the definition of good. You are righteous. You are just. You tell us that you will never leave us or forsake us. You tell us that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for Jesus, how he entered into this world, taking on the form of man, living the life we could not live, perfect, spotless, Lamb of God, and dying the death that we deserve on the cross. We thank you and praise you for that, that out of the mind of God, that came salvation, redemption, forgiveness. Father, as we look through the Psalms, we see the great praises to you, but we also see where the psalmist cry out to you. And we look around this world Mm. Mm -mm. even this week there's been so much there's been joy but there's also been deep pain as we look at the things that went on in Memphis we just are at a loss for words Anger, desire for justice. We don't know what to do. But even your spirit in our silence and our groanings delivers that message to God. God, sometimes we don't know what to say to each other. Give us the words of peace to express our hearts to each other over these things in the world. These things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our confession of sin today comes from Jude chapter 1. This is the time for us to go to God and confess to him the things that we've done during this week hurts how we have um, sins of omission sins of commission things that God actually knows already yet he calls us to confess to him so I'll read this confession then we'll have a moment of silent confession In the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Let's pray silently.
Amen. Our assurance of pardon comes from Jude, also chapter 1. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. stand if you are able for the reading of God's word. Today we'll be reading out of Hosea 5, 1 through 7. I'll give you a minute to find it. Up here? Okay, sorry. Hosea, 1, uh, Hosea 5, 1 through 7. Got it? All right. Hear this, you priests. Pay attention, you Israelites. Listen, royal house. This judgment is against you. You have been a snare in Mizpah, a net, a net spread out on Tabor. The rebels are knee-deep in slaughter. I will discipline all of them. I know all about Ephraim. Israel is not hidden from me. Ephraim, you have now turned to prostitution. Israel is corrupt. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their hearts. They do not acknowledge the Lord. Israel's arrogance testifies against them. The Israelites, even Ephraim, stumble in their sin. Judah also stumbles with them. When they go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, they will not find them. He has withdrawn himself from them. They are unfaithful to the Lord. They give birth to illegitimate children. When they celebrate their new moon feasts, he will devour their fields. This is the word of God. Good morning, everyone. My name's uh, Pastor Alex. I'm the senior pastor here at the Village Church. If you are a guest, thank you so much for uh, being with us today. We're now going to have uh, prayers of supplication, and that is the time where we can intercede uh, for those in our life, where we can bring our own personal needs before God. And so let us go now have a time of prayer of supplication. Let us go to the Lord. Father, I do want to just echo something that um, Elder Richard prayed just in Memphis. Just, I think uh, Brother Tyre Nichols, Lord, is that, can't, I can't watch stuff like that anymore. 
as a black man just causes me trauma. But my prayer for myself and for us in our church that we would not become desensitized to the injustices that exist in our country. My prayer is that our hearts will break, you will lament, and each of us will look to be spheres of influences for the kingdom and the places where we live. It's so easy, Lord, for us to just be so turned off from the pains of others that we can just navigate this world and just don't care. And so my prayer is that you protect us from apathy, indifference, that you will protect us from just hopelessness, that we will see the evils in the world and we will pray into them, and we'll also try to be agents of reconciliation and justice in our communities and places where we live. So I pray for my own heart that it's so easy just to turn it off. It's so easy just to pretend like, oh, that's, that's in Memphis, that's not Huntsville. It's so easy just to, to go through life thinking everything is just great. That's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to my family. It's not going to happen in Huntsville. It's not going to happen in our neighborhood. Sin is everywhere. And as Christians, we, sh- we should know this. That there's no, no place on, on the, on, 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 in this world and in America that is not touched by the fall. And I pray for your church in Memphis that they will be salt and light, that they will lead and minister well. I pray for Nicholas' family that you will gr- help them to grieve well. I even pray for those five police officers whose lives are, are ruined now and their families. No one wins and stuff like this. When we see things like this, it's just a constant reminder that, that, that this world is not what it was created to be. So much brokenness. And we, get, we can easily be deceived as American Christians and thinking we're just safe. If we just work hard enough, if we have enough stuff, then then we won't be impacted by the fall and the things that happen to other people and to other parts of the world. Lord, the, the enemy has pulled a blanket over our eyes. Fall is real. Injustice is real. But so are you. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And even though the world is broken, it's still your world. It's still your creation. And you are at work. Even though we can't see it. Even though we don't always feel it. Even though it seems like the enemy is winning. The word, the word tells us differently. It says you have overcome the world. And so, Father, in this prayer of supplication, help us to, to be able to, to be salt and light in the places where we live. We, we don't live in other places in America. We live right here in Huntsville, and we don't all live in the same neighborhoods. 
Give us the spiritual discernment to see that we can be change agents where we are. We can be advocates for justice and truth and righteousness where you have us. Give us the humility and the courage and the boldness, Lord, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the places where we live. Spirit, you have to do it. Because if you don't do it, we won't do it. We'll just go on doing what we do. As, as Brother Richard said, we'll, we'll go to church on Sunday. we go to work on Monday. We go to kids events throughout the week. We may go to small group. We just check the box. Check the box. Check the box. Check the box. Help us to love who you love. Help us to see who you see. Help us to be the covenant people of God in the places where we do life. And I pray for this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. I hope each of you are doing well this morning on this Lord's Day. You know, it is the day that he has made, and we can rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Our hiatus from the book of Hosea is over. It's over. We are returning this morning to the sermon series titled, A Love That Makes Us Whole. A love that makes us whole. The book of Hosea is about a love that makes us whole. And that love is the love of God. But do we really believe God's love can make us whole people? Do we really, really, truthfully believe that? So if you have your Bible, your Bible app, open it to Hosea 5. We, are, we will be looking at verses 1 through 7. And the title of this sermon is Love Sometimes Hurts. Love Sometimes Hurts. And I'm not talking about the hurt that comes from physical and emotional abuse. Abuse isn't love. It's hate. The hurt here is just a normal hurt that we experience from being in relationships with other imperfect people. Like the hurt that comes from a breakup or conflicts with friends or other common relationship issues. The late Bob Marley once says, the truth is, everyone is going to hurt you. You just got to find the ones worth suffering for. The truth is, everyone is going to hurt you. You just got to find the ones worth suffering for. And sometimes, saints, uh, God's love hurts. It hurts. A love that makes us whole hurts sometimes because it disciplines us. It corrects us. It transforms us. It holds us accountable. And it also allows us to experience the natural consequences for the choices we make in life. No amen on that? Okay. Maybe I'm hitting close to home. But do y'all believe it? It's true even if you don't believe it. It's still true. So please pray with me for me. Holy Spirit, you 
are the one who leads us into all truth. And this morning, we, as I pray each week, uh, we need you to move. We need you to open up our minds. We need you to open up our hearts so our minds and our hearts can be sensitive to what it is you want each of us to get from the message today. You know what we need to hear. And I'm grateful that, that some, as the word says, we don't always know what we need to pray for, but, but you pray for us. So, Holy Spirit, will you minister to each of us today for the glory of our Savior and for our corporate and individual good? In Christ's name I pray. Amen. As, as human beings, the, the way we use our voice, it, it differs depending on the situations we experience in life. For example, many, many people don't use their voice the same way in serious situations and funny situations. Their, their voice volume and, and tone is usually different in those two situations. And the same is true for many of us this morning. Your, your voice has a volume and your voice has a tone. Your, the volume of your voice refers to how loud or soft your voice is in a situation. Sometimes you want to speak softly. Sometimes you may speak loud. And according to one special needs instructor, it says the tone, it refers to how your voice is heard and the meaning that is interpreted from others beyond the spoken word. In verse 1a, God's voice has a certain tone and a certain volume. His voice reveals the seriousness of the situation in Hosea chapter 5. It's really the whole the seriousness of the situation in Israel. It's no laughing matter. The Lord isn't pleased with what's happening in the northern kingdom. And so in verse 1, he, he calls before him three groups of Israelite leaders. The religious leaders, the royal court, and the elders of the people. And the call isn't a request. It's not a suggestion. It's not optional. And it's definitely not, y'all can come when you feel like it. Y'all can come if you want to come. The Lord is like, y'all better get over here right now, and you better not make me ask twice. Can you hear the volume? Can you picture the tone? God's voice is firm and commanding, yet loving. He says, hear this, O priest. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, house of the king. Has anyone ever said to you, do you only hear what you want to hear? Has anyone ever said that to you? Have you ever accused someone of saying, do you only hear what you want to hear? These words refer to selective hearing. And people who have selective hearing, they only hear the things that are important to them. For example, if you're a parent, the kids never hear you say, clean the room. But if you say, we're going to get ice cream, oh my goodness, they hear those words. Selective hearing isn't what God is expecting here from his people. He wants them to have active listening. So look again at how he summons them. Hear this. Pay attention. Give ear. The Lord's God's demands their undistracted attention. Stop whatever y'all are doing. Put down the smartphone. 
turn off the TV, close the book you're reading, take a break from your job. I need y'all to look at me, and I need y'all to listen for understanding. Listen up, religious leaders. Listen up, royal court. Listen up, elders of the people. Listen up, leadership of the village church. Why does God, why does God have this loud tone, loud voice, loud volume, and strong tone? Why does He summon these particular Israelite leaders? It's because of their failure to love Him and to love the people under their leadership. That's why He summoned them. It's because of their failure to love Him and to love the people He has placed under their leadership. See, a failure to love is sin against the Lord their God. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great first and greatest commandment. And the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And in Galatians 5, verse 15, the apostle Paul writes, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In his book, Good, Beautiful, and Kind, Pastor Rick Velotis writes, In our culture, sin has usually not been defined as a failure to love, but almost exclusively as a violation of law, God's law. But sin isn't just a violation of a law. It is also the disruption of love. A disruption of love. The leaders, these three group of leaders, are failing in the way they are to love God, and they're failing in the way they are to love the Israel people who are under their leadership. But God comes to them in love, and that's why he summons them in love, in order to hold them accountable. Okay? A love that makes you whole will hold you accountable. A parent who lets their kids do whatever they want to do without accountability, that's not love. That's not love. The kids will like it, but it ain't love. So why would God do the same thing to us? He won't. He holds us accountable. So he's going to rebuke these leaders for abusing their leadership, and it's going to hurt. Look at verse 1b. God says to them, for the judgment is for you. Well, what in the world does that mean, Pastor? There is some ambiguity in the statement. There are two possible interpretations. The Message Bible offers one interpretation. It says, you're in charge of justice around here. The New American Standard Bible offers a second one. It says, for the judgment applies to you. So is God saying the Israelites are responsible for justice, or is he saying they are going to receive judgment from him? Both meanings can be understand here, can be understood here. But for my understanding of the context, I'm going with the latter. God is saying those leaders are going to receive judgment from him as a consequence for their rebellion, their sin. And please understand, this judgment isn't hate. It's not abandonment. It's not abuse. It's healthy discipline. It is an expression of love that makes us whole. And sometimes this love hurts because it tells us the truth when we're not living right. True love tells you the truth when you're acting the fool. It tells you the truth about yourself. It tells church leaders the truth when they're not leading right. 
And this also applies to the leadership of TVC. In verses 1C and 2A, God tells the leaders of the northern kingdom the truth about themselves. He, he pulls out all the receipts. See, God is the only one that can keep a record of wrongs. Now, we, can, we can't do that because we got wrongs ourselves. He recounts to them all the ways they're failing to love him and his people. He shows them how they are abusing their leadership. And he uses three hunting trap metaphors to describe how these leaders are falling short as leaders. Look at these verses with me. He says, For you have been a snare at Mizpah, a net spread upon Tabar, and the pit made deep in Shittim. Now that translation in your Bible probably doesn't have that because the Hebrew is confusing. But that last verse is the pit has you made the pit of Shittim deeper. So a pit, a snare, and a net are hunting traps used to hunt birds and wild animals. And here's the thing about these traps. You have to you have to camouflage the traps so the animals won't see them. So the animals don't know that they're going into a trap. Because with the pit, you dig a pit, you put leaves and sticks over it, and then a wolf will just walk in and fall right into the trap, even though the trap was there. So why do you think God, so what do y'all think God is telling these leaders? He's calling them clever hunters who intentionally trap his people like prey. You're hunting my people instead of leading them well. You're all guilty of deceiving my people instead of leading them in truth. The snare and the net and the pit are all metaphors for idolatry. And these leaders are trapping God's people in idolatry by leading them into the into Baal worship. And they sneak in the way they do it. And these leaders are also part of the reason why the kingdom is in moral decline and social violence is taking place. Back in chapter 4, Verses 1 and 2, the Lord says, There's no faithfulness or steadfast love, no knowledge of God in the land. They're swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery. They break all bonds. Bloodshed follows bloodshed. What he says, there's a whole bunch of crap going on, and I don't like it. I have a question for y'all. Do y'all think bail worship, corrupt leadership, more decline, and social violence or just isolated instances? Or is it widespread throughout the whole kingdom? Which is it? Because sometimes when we see injustice in America, we say, oh, they're just isolated there. It, it can't be widespread. The northern kingdom got systematic problems. And it's simple, it ain't simply a few bad apples. All the apples are bad. All, every single one of them are bad. Bad apples make broken systems. One seminary professor says, all of Israel, political and social oppression, keeps the people from the freedom they would have via true knowledge of Yahweh. The nation's government and religion were established by God to protect and benefit his people. Instead, they have preyed upon the people like snares to trap and imprison rather than to support and protect. They are abusing their leadership. They are. Now, what's the application for us here? And one of the challenges of preaching through a book like Hosea is that we're so, we live so far away from that. 
we, we read this book and it's like, man, it's, 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 it's just no hope. It's just a lot of gloom and doom, just like it is outside. Pastor, give me something good. So what, what kind of application can we get from this particular section? The application is for those who are in church leadership, campus ministry leadership, or any other Christian ministry leadership. For TVC, it's for the elders, the deacons, the women shepherds, the deacon assistants, the church staff, and all lay leaders. Every leader in this church has been called by God to love him and every member of this local body well. We're called to be faithful and godly spiritual leaders. We're not to be a snare, a net, or a pit that traps God people in, in idolatry or anything that will pull them away from him. We're not to deceive his people with teachings that are not consistent with his word. We're not to abuse our leadership. We're not to use and pray upon God's people for our own selfish gain and agendas. If you are a TVC leader or seek to be a future TVC leader, here's two questions I need y'all to ask yourself. Question one, why am I a leader at this church? Question two, why do I want to be a leader in this church? Why am I a leader, and why do I want to be one? One Presbyterian pastor says, Hosea 5 indicates that those who are called to spiritual leadership should expect a more severe judgment from God if they prove unfaithful. James 3.1 says, Not merely you should become teachers, for you know those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. In verse 2, this is what the Lord God does. He judges the priests, the elders of the people, and the world court. He announces what the consequence would be. Look at verse 2b with verse 2b with me. It says, But I would discipline all of them. That's emphatic. I would do it. To the point, it's up in your face. The volume and tone are blunt and stern. He means business. But I. Not Hosea. I would do it. I want y'all to notice something. Some of you may have already noticed it. The Lord doesn't say all of you. He says all of them. The phrase all of them includes more than just the leaders. The whole, all the citizens of Israel are included here. All of Israel will be disciplined by the Lord their God. The leaders and the people will experience the same consequence. And I'll explain. You see, the Hebrew term that's translated discipline in verse 2b is uh, muzar. And it can also be translated as fetter, bound, or shackle. One commentator even translated it this way. Then I will be shackles for all of you. So is it discipline or is it shackles? It's both. The Lord God will not only discipline all of Israel, but he will also place them in shackles. Now I know it's hard to imagine a loving and faithful God placing his own people in chains. It's like, wait, 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 wait. I, I don't, that, that doesn't look like love, Pastor. It doesn't feel like love. It doesn't read like love. But it is. It's a love that makes us whole. And sometimes this love hurts. Why? Because this love disciplines us. It corrects us. 
It chastises us. It transforms us. It holds us accountable. It restores us. It even allows us to experience the natural consequences of the choices that we make. The Lord says, I will discipline them all. I will place them all in shackles. Y'all notice anything about that statement? The words are future. Still to come. Hasn't happened yet. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Alice? It means they still got time. It means God is using the prophet Hosea to just announce to Israel future judgment if they don't repent of their sins. That's what he's doing. So think about this. I said this once before in the earlier sermon in the series. Hosea's ministry covers 50 years. That's a long time. From, 70, from 760 to 710 B.C. He ministers in the northern kingdom up to the day the kingdom goes into exile in Assyria in 722 B.C. Hosea warned. Israel about God's common about God's common justice for like thirty years. It's like thirty years he's telling them. God sends Hosea to his covenant people thirty years in advance. They have advance notice. And this advance notice is mercy. This advance notice is kindness. This advance notice is patience. This advance notice is long-suffering, it's faithfulness, it's love. It's love that makes us whole. If he didn't love them, he would have went on ahead and did it to them. So 30 years, Hosea is preaching these messages to Israel. And yet they refuse to repent. They refuse to let God love them. They refuse to confess for 30 years. And in 722 B.C., God's love for them is going to hurt. They're actually going to be put into shackles when they're taken into exile in Assyria. And when that happens, the leaders of Israel cannot accuse God not loving them. The people cannot accuse God not loving them. They cannot accuse them of being unjust, for he's giving them advance notice. They Think about it like this. He gave them a 30-year eviction notice. Like, you got 30 years. 30 years. Now, if your landlord gives you an eviction notice, like, he ain't giving you 30 years to pay the rent. Like, you better pay it right now. God is saying 30 years. And he's giving us advance notice, too. It's called the Bible. And this Bible is an expression of God's love for us. He's given all of us an advance notice. Or what's to come. He's giving you advance notice. Of what he expects of you. He's giving you advance notice. On how you can be made right with him. Because when he comes back. You can't say. Well I didn't know. Well well, well, I didn't know. You know. Advance notice. So what does God require of us? The apostle Paul Peter says in Acts 2, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off and everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. That's your advance notice. That's your advance notice. 
And so when it comes back, you will be without excuse. So will you come to Jesus in saving faith? That is the question. It's going to always be the question if you don't know him. Acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. Repent of your sins and surrender to him in faith. Will you come? Here's your eviction notice. You better do something with it. And think about this eviction notice. He wants you to just come be in a relationship with him. He wants your heart. Will you give it to him? In Hosea chapter 5, verses 3 to 7, there is a shift in the emphasis. A shift in emphasis takes place. The emphasis moves away from the leadership to the people of Israel as a whole. So, so remember the phrase, all of them, it includes the people of Israel, the non-leaders too. You see, the, non-lead, the non-leaders in Israel can't sit back and blame all the problems in Israel on the priests, the elders, and the royal court. That's, that's supposed to be amen statement. Man, y'all, I mean, what? Like, okay. The hands of the non-leaders aren't clean either. They ain't living holy either. They ain't living faithfully either. And this shift and emphasis leads to another application for our church. So listen carefully. TVC members who aren't church leaders can't sit back and blame all of our church problems on the, on the leadership. Well, it's just the elder and deacon's fault. It's the women's shepherd's fault. It's the deacon assistant's fault. It's the women's ministry and men's ministry fault. It's the church staff fault. And listen, at times it will be our fault. Hold us accountable. But the church member, you can never say that from a position of self-righteousness. Because listen, the church leaders are not the only broken people in this church. Every church member who isn't a leader is also broken. And at times, some of our church issues are going to be your fault. Who has issues? And if you forget that, yes, sir. So, as a, if a, so if you are a church member and future church member, I have two questions for y'all. First, what kind of TVC church member are you? Question two, what kind of TVC church member will you be? What kind of, TV, what kind of church member are you? And what kind of church member will you be? A member who fights for the peace and purity of our church or a member who just sows division and disunity? The citizens of Israel, they didn't fight for the peace and purity of their kingdom. Instead, they willingly participated in the same idolatry, the moral decline, and social violence. They were right there with it. And the Lord says he knows and he sees this as clear as day. Look at what he tells the people as a whole in verse 3a. He says, I know Ephraim. Israel is not hidden from me. The message Bible says, I know you, Ephraim, inside and out. Yes, Israel, I see right through you. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must all give account. I like to think about God in this particular scene like a character from a movie. I'm not going to tell you the movie because it might not be appropriate for some of you to watch. 
but the character's name is Big Worm. And so the Lord is saying to Israel, stop playing with me, Israel. Playing with my worship and my covenant is like playing with my emotions. Stop trying to fool me. I know what y'all are doing. I see clearly how y'all are living. You may be able to fool the people next to you, but you can't fool me. I see you. I see you. And verse 3b tells us what God knows and sees about them. He says, for now, Ephraim, you have played the harlot. Israel is defiled. The message Bible says, Ephraim, you have played your sex religion games long enough. All of Israel is thoroughly polluted. The Lord sees and knows that, that there's, there's immorality and covenant unfaithfulness in, in, in Israel. He sees and knows that, that, their, that their harlotry and their defilement are both done with pride. They arrogantly rebel against their God by any sense of conviction and this pride is self-sufficiency. And for Israel, this self-sufficient pride bears witness against them. It reveals their guilt and inequity. Look at verse 5. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in their guilt. Judah shall also stumble with them. Harlotry, more defilement, and self-sufficient pride or what God knows and sees among the Israelites. He knows and sees that these external sinful manifestations flow from a hardened heart, which are unfaithful hearts. See, the Israelites have pledged the allegiance of their hearts to, their, to themselves and to a false god named Baal. And their hardened hearts won't acknowledge the Lord, nor submit to him and his covenant. Look at 4b. God says, for a spirit of whoredom is within them. They do not know the Lord. Their hearts are hardened, which are trapped in idolatry, and that keeps them from knowing Yahweh. So if you got idols in your life, I hope you know those idols in competition with Jesus for your heart. And it's easy to have idols in America. Comfort our rights, our privileges, and those things can be in competition with Jesus in your heart. They can rob you of the joy of the Lord. He says in verse 7, they have dealt falsely, faithfulness with the Lord, for they have borne alien children. Because of their hardened hearts, Israel is forsaking the covenant and betraying their own God. So what are your idols of your heart? None of us are going to have a wooden statue. I hope you don't have a wooden statue at home that you bow down to. That would just be weird. But you do have idols. You might can't see them, but you have them. Comfort, security, your technology. What are your idols? What are your little Plato Jesuses that you bow down to? So what is meant by alien children? One commentator says this. The proper way to understand this Hebrew verb is, is that it's illegitimate children. It's children who, 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 who will not inherit the land because they're not illegitimate children. So what he's saying here is that the people of Israel are living like orphans in their own land. They are children, beloved sons and daughters of Yahweh Elohim. 
and in their own land, they're living as if they don't know him. They're living like the pagans, that they, that's just like their neighbors. They're living as if they're outside the covenant. Where is your heart this morning? Are we just checking the box? Or we just come here because our parents made us come? Do we just come because we got to help lead worship or work in the nursery? Why are we here? Is your heart hardened toward the things of God? Do you confess to be a legitimate child of God on Sunday, but functionally you live like an orphan Monday through Saturday? A hardened heart is deceptive. I hope you know that. But what do you mean by that, Pastor? I mean, a hardened heart can go through the motions of religious motions and rituals, and it appears that you have true devotion for God. Do you know that about this, a hardened heart? You can just go through the motions of it, but it's fake, and the Lord knows it. You see, Israel, they make attempts to reconcile with God. And we're going to read through that in the next verses. They appear externally to reach out to him. They even appear to take steps towards repentance by offering animal sacrifices to him. But the Lord isn't fooled by their external things because he knows their hearts are not in it. He knows that they're just going through the religious motions. He knows that they're crying out because they're in trouble. Because we know we have all of us have a foxhole faith when we're in trouble. We see this in, 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 in the entertainment industry. When people are in trouble, everybody got faith. But he knows they don't have sincere hearts. Look at verse 4. It says that these do not permit them to return to their God. That term for, the Hebrew term for return is repentance. For their spiritual hoarding was within their heart. Their hearts don't belong to Yahweh. And in verse 6, with their flocks and herds, they shall go to seek the Lord. They're going to go and make sacrifices to him, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. Now, I know when you hear these terms, when you hear this language, God's hiddenness and him withdrawing from Israel, it doesn't look like love. I understand that. I had to write this. Right, took me forever. It doesn't feel like love. But it is. Love sometimes hurts when, it's, when, it, when it is expressed in fatherly discipline. It's supposed to make us uncomfortable because his love in us this way is what he uses to transform us, to correct us, to, to hold us accountable. If he didn't do that, that's not love. A love that makes us whole allows us to experience the natural consequences of the choices we make in life. It does. But at the same time, that love is there to restore us as we go through those consequences. And we're going to see this as we work our way through the book of Hosea. I end with this quote from one commentator, because I don't want y'all to leave here thinking, man, God doesn't love me. He do love you. He loves you dearly. This commentator says, God's anger is not that of love. I say, God's, God's anger is that of love, not hate. His, relent, his relentless uh, harrowing of Israel is designed to bring them home. 
passage after passage will make this plain. So as we continue to work our way through this book, you're going to see, continue to see that, yes, God's love sometimes hurts, but it's God's love is also there to bring us back to him. He disciplines us to bring us home. Just like the, 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 the prodigal son when he wandered, he came back home and the father ran out to him. That's what God wants for us when we too wander off, is to come back to his house. And the thing about a love that makes us whole is that no matter how far we wander, we would never be disinherited. Okay? No matter how far you struggle, how much you struggle, you would never be taken out of the will. Your inheritance is still there because it was purchased for you by Christ. So that's what I want you to leave with. That's what you got to keep in mind as we work through Hosea because there's a lot of doom and gloom. But there is hope, there is love, and there is assurance as well. Let us pray. Father God, none of us like discipline because it doesn't feel good. It hurts. A lot of us can testify to that growing up. Kids that can testify to that. They, some of them may be under discipline right now. But Lord, your discipline is always in love. It's always fatherly, parental love. It's not abandonment, it's not abuse. But the Lord is healthy. And you are close to us. Even as you're disciplined, you're close to us. And so I pray as we continue to work our way through Hosea that that will hopefully be able to come out in each message. Seeing Christ here will be able to come out in each message. And I pray for your beloved sons and daughters today that as they go out about their day that they will know that you're with them. Help them to know that there will be times when, when you let them go through the natural consequences of their choices. That's for all of us. But it doesn't mean that we've been forsaken or abandoned. So Holy Spirit, comfort us when we're under fatherly discipline. Help us to be able to hear and feel the touch and love of our God. And I pray for all of this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Thanks. Will you please stand as we close our service? Justice.
Okay, so we're still having our stay and play for village kids um, and our slightly older first step kids because we can't play outside. It's rainy and cold. It's gross. So if you want to do the stay and play, y'all meet me in the fellowship hall. It is slick. Do not run. Um, And if you have slightly older first step kids, I'm thinking like four-ish years old, Um, We have board games. So if you think your kid can handle a board game or a card game, please bring them. If they are not able to stay for that, we have nursery provided for the the finance meeting. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I just wanted to tell you all that um, things have changed just a little because our playground, the weather. So anyway, okay, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, if you are a guest today, thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully we'll see you again next week. Also, the congregational meeting will happen right after the service. So a few minutes, get some snacks, use the restroom. We'll gather back here. Then we'll start the meeting. Now here's God's uh, benediction to his beloved. Now may the peace, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all and all God's people said. Amen. Please greet one another, saints. <laughs>